Over 20 years ago, Midwestern heavy metal guitarist Orin Moon disappeared. His was a world of demons, both figurative and literal, and when he went missing, his daughter Melody Moon was thrown into circumstances beyond her imagination. I've been tasked with telling her story in this podcast. I'll do it, or I'll die trying. Hunted by the otherworldly creatures that took her father and his best friend, Melody found herself tangled in the realm of the night crowd, where the undead are real, and monsters prowl the shadows under the guise of musicians, barflies, and roadies. In this episode, Melody discovers the cold truth about the demon Murmur while trying to gain ownership of her father's guitar. The sinister creature doesn't work alone, and Melody finds herself heading directly into a trap set by the demon's brethren. Murmur may have been the first demon that Melody Moon encountered in her quest to find her father, but it was definitely not the last. This is Bad Notes, Episode 17. She pointed to the next block of text, 
which had been written in black marker. It says, Murmur is just one member of an entourage. It says here, my dad faced off with at least two of its siblings, something called Bellow and another called Groan. It says he trapped the essence of Groan in a wolf's stomach that was sewn shut by, I don't know, I can't read this word. But he also says that the group has a name, that they run together like a posse, and that he did everything he could to keep them separated because, oh God. What, I asked. Just beyond Mel, standing next to the table like he was along for the ride, was the not Alonzo. It grinned and showed a mouthful of angled yellow teeth. Then it made a shushing gesture by putting one skeletal finger to cracked lips. I tried to ignore the vision and focused on Mel. She pointed at the notebook. It says, They're the inspiration for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That they appear as riders, by horseback, by sea, in cars, motorcycles, whatever's available during any given time period, and that they want the bastard for themselves. I still wasn't sure what the noise bastard was, but if these demons wanted it, we probably needed to find it first. She took a deep breath and showed me a sketch that Pony had drawn years ago. It depicted seven shadow figures, each with glowing eyes. A few seemed to have horns on their heads, one appeared to be covered in massive tentacles. Beneath the drawing were two words, underlined and circled. Red Seven. The words made the flesh on my arms crawl, and I found myself staring, mouth gaping, at the drawing without saying a word to Mel. Finally, she spoke. I think I know what it is, she said. I mean, not exactly, but when Pony had me listen to his recording from the day of my birthday party, her voice trailed and I'm sure she thought of the way we had left Alonzo behind at the rest stop. She held the side of her head, grimaced. The recording was from years ago, but it somehow planted all this stuff in my head. It's been swimming there ever since, trying to find a place to settle in so I can make sense of it. I... I don't know. Does that sound crazy? Yes, I said. But we're also taking a road trip with vampires, so I don't think crazy matters much anymore. My dad captured Murmur back then. Had the damn thing in our shed. Tried to kill it somehow. So, it bleeds. What are you trying to say, Mel? If it bleeds, it can die. You sound like the lead character of an action movie, I said with a smile. But she didn't reciprocate. It was like she was stealing herself for a fight. Her eyes were distant and her hands had curled into tight fists on either side of the journal, 
An energy had stirred in her, something I hadn't seen in all my years being her friend. And it was so raw, so powerful, that I could swear I felt it thrumming against my own chest. Like she was vibrating with anger and determination and a thirst for the hunt. Mel, I asked, are you okay? Her shoulders relaxed and she slid the notebook away, shaking her head. No. No. No, I'm not. Whatever that burning energy had been, it was completely gone. She shook her head again and rubbed at her temples with her fingertips like she was fighting a migraine. I'm not like my dad. I'm not like them. I don't want to be a part of this. I stared at the drawing of Murmur and its ilk, then set my eyes on Mel's. I suddenly remembered facing Alonzo for the first time at the funeral, staring into his eyes that seemed like swirling galaxies inside of his skull. The task he had given me. How I'd felt helpless to protest, and had simply complied with everything he'd instructed me to do. I hate to be the one to say it, I said quietly. But Mel, what if you don't have a choice? What if none of us do? She nodded, ran her fingers over the passage about murmur, then shut the notebook and pulled a blanket from the shelf beside the crescent table. She didn't say anything else as she carefully drew the blanket over her shoulders and then fell asleep with her head resting on my shoulder. Within minutes, I was sleeping too. I recently found myself eating a sack lunch on the side of the road somewhere in the middle of Iowa. As I tried to finish my peanut butter sandwich in peace, an old woman in a gray and yellow pantsuit appeared out of nowhere. She stared at me from across the highway, then reached into her pocket and withdrew a playing card. Without saying a word, she held it between her finger and thumb, then flicked it through the air at me. It pierced the bread of my sandwich like an assassin's dagger. When I tried to speak to her, she'd disappeared. I looked at the card, which was covered in very neat handwriting, that said, This week's episode of Bad Notes is brought to you by Orb Industries. We see all, and know all, so you don't have to. hours, with my head tilting backwards and my mouth open a majority of the time, 
My tongue was a tasteless, dry chunk of bark lodged between my teeth. It had been a dreamless sleep, thank God, and when I finally woke up, I was covered in thick, balmy sweat. Mel wasn't next to me anymore. Outside, the sun had begun to barely rise over the horizon, casting red and orange hues into the early morning sky. There were no clouds up there, and it just looked like an ocean of shimmering blood. Why are we stopped? I asked. The pony was gone, too. Then I noticed the bus wasn't even running anymore. I stood slowly, scanning the interior of the bus for a weapon. The only thing I found was an empty beer bottle in the wastebasket beside the table. Then I noticed the door to Wicked Jenny's quarters was standing open, and the room where she slept was empty. When I turned, the vision of Alonzo stood beside the driver's seat of the bus. A smile tore across his face, splitting the flesh at the corners of his mouth to the bottoms of his ears. It grew larger, lips curling and teeth erupting from within. Blood trickled down his face and dripped from the bottom of his chin. But it never struck the floor of the bus because this was only a vision. Less than a ghost, more than a shadow. Just residue from my connection to Murmur's realm. And as I thought this, it disappeared. And beyond it, standing in the middle of the highway in front of the bus... Wicked Ginny. I ran for the exit, leapt onto the uneven gravel of the highway's shoulder outside, and found Mel standing beside Pony. He put a hand on my shoulder and pressed another finger to his lips. I glanced at Mel and she shrugged, though there were tears at the corners of her eyes. Then my gaze fell on Ginny. She wore the red kimono with a matching scarf wrapped around her head. Her arms were exposed, and even from this far away, I could see the tendrils of smoke peeling away from her flesh as the sun began to touch her skin. What's happening? I asked as quietly as possible. A memorial, Jenny said without looking at us. She withdrew a butterfly knife from somewhere on her person and carefully slid it across the palm of her right hand. Dark blood began to pour from the wound. She crouched and pressed the bloody palm against the pavement. She spoke, but I couldn't understand what she said. It was either because she was too far away or because she was speaking a different language. After a few moments of this low, unintelligible whispering, she stood and bowed her head. The handprint of blood began to sizzle and smoke. From this vantage point, it looked almost as if she had placed a sausage patty on the ground and was cooking it. She turned to face us, and the look of exhaustion and pain on her face made my stomach coil in on itself. Tears of that same dark blood trickled down the sides of her face. It was as if someone had attacked her with permanent markers. Except, I knew that wasn't ink at all. You probably don't know this, nor will you properly understand it. But all vampires share a unique bond with those upon whom they've fed. Some of us call it the Sanguinis Viculum, or the Blood Bond. She stopped speaking for a moment to wipe tears from her face. 
When she did, I noticed the scorched flesh on the back of her hand. Your father had many enemies, girl, Jenny said. Murmur was only one of a host of shitheads who wanted to carve your father's heart from his chest. And it seems they're now joining forces to find you. The daughter of the hunter and her friends, they've now become the hunted. She walked past us and began to climb into the bus. But what happened, I asked. Once Jenny was safely in the shade inside the bus, she turned. Even parts of her face had begun to fester and blister and peel in the sun's light. I sent a group of shepherds ahead of us, she said. The other vampires you met at my compound, each one handpicked and turned by myself over the years. They're my security force. One of them has, unfortunately, met their demise outside the town of Mason's Post. Driven through the heart and beheaded by someone or something bent on finding you. But we're supposed to go there, Mel said. Plans are changing. Your daddy's guitar isn't even in Mason's Post anymore. She wandered further into the bus and instructed Pony to get it running again. She said, We need to get to the starlight. Things are already more complicated than I had anticipated. Given Orin Moon's capacity for chaos, I shouldn't have expected anything less. I'm, I'm sorry, I said, but I'm confused. Where the hell are we headed? Confused, she whispered. Then, in an instant, she was mere inches from my face, with her fangs flashing as she spoke. You went confused, boy. The last mental imprint I picked up from my poor fallen shepherd was an image of someone wearing a cartoon character Halloween mask as they drove a broken flagpole through the poor soul's chest. My shepherd heard the person giggling at them, childlike, gleeful, as the wooden stake pierced the shepherd's heart and broke the magic that kept them alive. That's confusion, my boy. She stepped away, seemingly dismissing the entire conversation as she stormed to the empty room at the rear of the bus. Before she closed the door, she spun and stared at us with eyes that swam in those tears of blood. We're going to Nebraska to get the help of an old friend, she said. Your father may have had many enemies, but the friends he made, they were eternal. So, we ride to the Starlight Motel. And what do we do when we get there, Mel asked. We meet the only other person who's ever faced murmur and lived to tell about it. We find the shaman named Leonard.
for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by L. David Hessler. Episodes air every other Tuesday. The title song for this season's episodes is Ascend by the band Primitivity. You can find more of their work at Primitivity.com. All other music and sound effects in this episode were used under a Creative Commons Zero license and were sourced from the YouTube Audio Library and freesound.org. Find more work by L. David Hessler at ldavidhessler.com and follow him on Instagram and Facebook at L. David Hessler. 